Adam asked me to explain why it is that we have Dan here. I'll be honest with you, and I know I've heard Don say things like this too from Harvest Chapel. In my opinion, and I'll just, you know, in a way of, I know Dan doesn't need this. Dan doesn't live for a thank you. Dan doesn't live for me trying to build him up. He's built up in Christ, if you guys don't already know that and understand that. But I will say that nobody has had a bigger impact on my faith than Dan Moeller. I heard a message of his in 2009 on righteousness that forever changed me in my understanding of who I am in Christ. That one thing alone, and I've, I've, I've heard him now, I've sat in his identity school in 2011, as a result have had the awesome privilege along with Pastor Don and some other folk to be a part of the Harvest Chapel School of Kingdom Living as a teacher. But his message on the understanding, on the reality, guys, then when, when, when the old things have gone, they really have gone, and new things have come. And I was one who used to honestly live in the violation of my heart Every single day, I had no idea that my heart had become so pure that the enemy was taking advantage of it. I know, honey. What, honey? Oh, your heart. Yeah, Lily likes it when I pray for her heart. So that's why she's saying pray for my heart, Daddy. So, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's probably one of the clearest messages I've ever heard on the gospel and what it really means and what it really looks like. And I tell people this all the time. I love miracles. I love seeing the sick get healed. I have the unique privilege from time to time and travel and see people get delivered. But nothing blesses me more than to see somebody, even in the midst of life, still remain unchanged. Nothing blesses my heart more than to see the humility of a person's heart. Nothing blesses me more than to see somebody who understands who they are in Christ and actually lives it out. And I think this man not only talks about it, he's the living expression of what it means. And uh, so it's an honor and it's a pleasure to have him here along with us. And we're glad you guys are here. My prayer for you tonight is, you know, as he's answering these questions, a lot of people have a lot of questions. They have questions about healing. They have questions about um, just the reality of a bunch of different things. You know, I actually threw some questions in there. I've actually, for a long time, have, I've often said to Adam, I would love to have Dan just for a day and ask him some questions, just run certain things by him. So it's an awesome privilege and honor to have him here with us as much as he's traveling and out and about and, and, and whatnot. So here he comes. I was trying to stall as long as I could. You put me on the spot, man. I don't like, no, I'm kidding. Can I pray for everybody? Give me that mic. Now I'm preaching. No. All right, you ready? Hey, I'm going to bless you guys. Is that cool? Love you guys so much. Father, we just thank you for who you are. Father, we so appreciate your love, and we thank you, God, that old things have passed away and all things have become new. Father, we thank you for the reality of water baptism, that it really is about the likeness of your death, God, and the likeness of your resurrection. We're in it. Yes, honey? You want me to hold that? Okay. It's good to pause, guys. Love your children even in the midst of praying. Huh, Lily? So, Father, we just thank you for what it is that you're going to do here tonight. We ask and pray, God, for clarity. We ask and pray, Lord, the questions get answered, that people do get understanding, that veils are removed. God, that hardness of heart goes, and that you come, God, and you reveal who you are in a greater way and who we are as well. That your light would so shine here this, this evening, God, and that we would walk away with understanding, that we would walk away with knowledge, and as a result, God, be transformed by that renewing. So, Father, we welcome you. We thank you that you're here. Thank you for the gift that Dan is to all of us in the body of Christ. Thank you, God, for what you have done, what you have revealed, so that even though it's been, you know, however long it's been with him, God, that he's been walking with you, we get to glean in a moment what has may have taken him a long time to understand, because the wage is the same no matter what time or hour we come into this thing. So, God, we bless him. We thank you for him. We love him. And we ask and pray that he just has the time of his life this evening, God. So we love you and we honor you. Come have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Dan, we love you tremendously. Okay, man. Come on up here. All right. Okay. Thanks, buddy. You're welcome. Thank you, doll. I thought you must have had a lot of questions. There's two bottles of water. I said, oh, dear Jesus. Can we, uh, 
This table's not heavy. Can I move this? I really don't. I don't, I don't need it. I just, it'll be in the, I'll knock it over if I get excited. I'd just rather sit here. I'm good with just this stool. Okay. Good. All right. I don't know how you're going to roll this thing. And, and you're just going to go for it. And just yes. Ask. So some people submitted questions today, I guess. Yes. And you went through them? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and it's not that I have all the answers. If I don't think I can answer it, I'm just going to tell you I'm not sure. But if I can answer it, I'm going to go for it. And I'm just telling you I love questions. So, yes. Questions make a strong draw on truth. Let me just say this. Whenever you ask a question from now on and in the future, please make sure your questions always ask in a humble heart and a heart to hear and understand and learn. Not contentious and not assuming you already have the answer. The Bible says be slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. Now think about this. Most of us have been the total opposite our whole lives. Quick to speak, quickly frustrated, and don't want to hear it. (laughs) Come on, be real with me. Good to see you guys. I told you this is a family reunion. This is crazy. I got to quit looking out there, man. Okay, I'm just going to close my eyes. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, the, fir- the first question, um, you often get referred to as Happy Dan. And it says, why, why are you so happy? And I think we know the answer to that. But the person that's asking, why, why am I not or how can I obtain that? Okay, there's a joy that comes from your salvation. Happiness, it, happiness Okay, the angel that came the day Jesus was born in the, in, the, in the pasture with the shepherds said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of... So when you understand the good tidings, great joy is the automatic response. If we don't preach the gospel clear and don't understand the good news, there's nothing good in the news. So this happy thing that people talk about, a happy, it's being right with God. Your relationship with God is what makes you who you are. A lot of people let life decide how they're doing. They let circumstances speak louder than truth, and truth's what makes you free. And all of a sudden, they're nothing more than a product of what they're going through or what they're facing or what they're in the middle of, and now they just have a big prayer list. Are you guys following me? The happiness we're talking about, the joy that's unspeakable, the joy of your salvation has nothing to do with circumstances. It has to do with right standing with God, right relationship with God, and seeing how he sees you. You follow me? A lot of people don't think they're lovable, and Jesus proved you wrong because he died on the cross and raised from the dead. A lot of people think they're failures. Jesus proved you wrong. He's saying you have a greater destiny and potential than anything you produced or he wouldn't have died and rose again. Come on, Jesus has laid the platform for us to not only succeed or not only to win, but to manifest him and leave a legacy, guys. You guys follow me? So it sounds like happy stuff to me. (laughs) See, there's something about waking up in the morning and believing the blood of Jesus. There's something about waking up in the morning and believing God's forgiven you and loves you and there's nothing to make up for. There's just the joy of becoming. There's a joy of being. You're not striving to be a better person. He's changed your heart on the inside. And you're letting that, if the inside is clean, the outside will be clean. So there's a joy in what I'm talking about. I've seen Christians strive and lose that joy because they're trying to produce something that's already finished. They're trying to please God. He's pleased to love you. There's a place to walk out your faith. There's a place to live in character and integrity. It doesn't come by your works or your desire to bite your lip and live better. It comes by his spirit changing you through this communion. Are you guys following me? 
Okay, so you want to walk in this, and every day you wake up, here's what believing is. You, okay, this is good. See, I got long answers, so I don't know how many times we'll go through it, but I'll give quick answers because we need answers. Some of us are looking for joy, looking for happiness through life, and it's through the way he sees you, and that'll never change. Look, he so loves me. He is so for me. I didn't wake up to fail him today, and he, didn't, he doesn't wake up because he doesn't slumber, but the day didn't come with him waiting for me to fail. I am positioned to live my life in Christ because of the blood of Jesus. Because the yesterday is going and new days come. So if I'm sincere and give my faith to that, this is what I was going to say. All through the Gospels, and I could take you to Scripture after Scripture, but I'm going to save time and just do this. You'll know it's there when you hear me talk about most of you. There's a phrase in your Bible called the faith, contending for the faith, fighting the good fight of faith, continuing in the faith. Talks about the faith till we all come to the unity of the faith. What's he talking about? Is he talking about faith to receive a new job, faith to get more income, faith to find the right spouse? No, he's talking about believing what you've become now that he came and holding on to what he accomplished and what that means for you. Fighting the good fight of faith means you'll never let your identity shift in the face of life because you've looked into his face. And all of a sudden, you're stronger than the weakness around you because there's one in you. Way stronger. You guys get this? This is what the faith is. This is what your armor is in Ephesians 6. It's not just a cool Sunday school lesson that you can be creative with. The armor in Ephesians 6 is what you've become now that he came. And you're supposed to put that on and never take it off. You don't take it off to go to bed. You put it on in him and you stay dressed till that day. Does this make sense? This is where joy comes from, guys. Being right with God, believing the blood of Jesus is enough, he forgives you and he loves you. And even if you feel like you're failing, stop getting condemned, stop beating yourself up, and stop looking for attention through it. Just say, you know what, God, my life is more than this. Give me wisdom. That is not my desire. My life is more than this. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for empowering me. The fact that you're thinking about it and that you see it for what it is and that you care means you're growing. There was a time in your life that thing didn't even bother you and you didn't even blink. And now you're seeing it for what it is. I think that's increase. So rather than condemn yourself for where you're not, I think you ought to rejoice that you're growing. The gospel never is here to condemn you. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn but that through him the world might be saved. That's why I'm happy, Dan. You get it? <laughs> I'll close with this. If you don't start where he finished, you'll never run well. And where he finished is making you right with God. Unveiled your face, you're a bride. Stand before him and look beautiful. And be accepted in the beloved. Because his blood is speaking way better things than Abel's blood. You guys good? Okay. Just made me happy. <laughs> um, being that we've been forgiven for our sins, could you please describe 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Right. Well, that's, that's called your works. You're not saved by your works. You're saved by grace through Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. Is there an accountability? Is there an expression to faith? When you're a believer, will your life reveal what you believe? That's what he's talking about. What he's talking about is everybody's going to stand before God and their life is going to reveal what they really believe. 
Like you can say you believe in God, but your life reveals what you believe. The way you live is what determines what you believe. Are you guys following me? So he's not talking about you continuing to sin. We just covered it with water baptism. Actually, Romans 6 says you're to reckon yourself dead to sin. You're not waking up in the morning as a Christian trying not to sin. You're rejoicing that you're free from its power. One of the biggest mistakes the church makes is we think that our ability to fail defines us as failures. We think our ability to sin defines us as sinners. And then we're always trying to to change ourselves and stop doing what he already accomplished. No, you wake up and recognize yourself as made right with God. Your heart's not to sin. Come on, you didn't come in this thing to find a way to miss it and get away with it. You come in this thing for change, true? So in the morning when we wake up, a good Christian heart isn't waking up saying, okay, I'm going to get it right today. I'm not going to sin today. Man, that's a sure way to be conscious of sin and feel like you're failing. You're not called to live sin conscious. You're called to live righteous conscious. You're called to wake up and rejoice every day in what he accomplished and what he did and how he made you to stand before him. Because if you do a Romans 6 and present your members unto God as righteous, it says you'll produce your fruit to holiness without trying to be holy. Does this make sense? So, so what Corinthians is talking about is every man's going to stand before God and make account for their life. So if, if, I really, if I really believe God, my life will define what I believe. If I really believe he's a healer, I'm probably getting involved in people's lives and praying for the sick. And I'm probably believing and laying my hands on the sick because these signs follow those that believe. They lay their hands on the sick. So if you're not... Pursuing that or ever growing into that realm, it, it shows that you either don't understand, which results in don't know what to believe. So your life reveals what's going on inside. Does that make sense? And that's really what 2 Corinthians is talking about. It's not saying, look, you're all going to keep on just sinning and sinning. It's hard to talk about in the church because people think it's heresy. You'd be amazed what's possible if you keep yielding to the fellowship and person of Holy Spirit. He said, if you live by the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, it sounds like God's speaking heresy now. Come on. We have ourselves identified as perpetual failures. I've seen it too long in the church. People have a confession of sin, and they're afraid to let grace make them what it paid for. And if we talk about it, whoa, blasphemy. Come on. To live in the flesh is death. To live in the spirit is life and peace. And if you live in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so grace abounds? Of course not. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? 1 Peter 2, he bore your sin and my sin in his body on a tree. Why? So we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, and by his stripes we are healed. Come on! That's the gospel! So I'm not waking up trying not to fail. I'm waking up enjoying that he succeeded and that he gave me great grace and it was his good pleasure to give me the kingdom. And my days of striving, friend, are over. I'm not trying to earn a thing. He has given me the kingdom. So I'm just a good receiver. Come on, if he puts it under the tree, open it. Put it on. It'd be like you saying, whoa, what a great jacket. Awesome jacket. Oh, you shouldn't have. And then hang it on the rack and never wearing it. Nobody does that if they really think it's an awesome jacket. <laughs> now, you might say it's an awesome jacket to save face and cover bases and then let it hang on the rack. But I'm talking about an awesome jacket. <laughs> Come on. So the gospel's good. Man, you got me happy now, guys. See, I love questions. <laughs> 
Listen, I'm not being facetious and I'm not being mean. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. If you look at the average general countenance of the body of Christ and mentality, it indicts us and proves we don't understand the good news. We're letting our lives and circumstances become who we are instead of what he's been through become who we are. We're letting our life define us. We get told we have cancer and all of a sudden we become a dying man praying for help instead of a man in covenant with promises in life. We lose our job and all of a sudden we're laid off and can't pay our bills. Instead of in covenant, as fast as a door closed, a door can open because he's for me and not against me and he loves me and he'll never forsake me. Yea, for you, God, what would I do if I didn't have covenant with you? Probably be unemployed and scared. But thank you, God, for your faithfulness. And all of a sudden you don't even lose a wink of sleep and you're not even on a prayer chain. Hello? Come on. I've been saved 19 years. I've seen it my whole Christian life. Hey, man, how you doing? Well, keep me in prayer. I'm really going through it. Which is proven that we think we're only as good as we're going through instead of as good as he went through. My life's defined by him. The truth makes me free. It doesn't mean these things aren't facts around my life. I'm not in denial. I'm just refusing to let them define me if the truth about me is in him. Because only then can I pray from a pure heart. Only then can I let faith work through love. Because if that's not the case, you're only praying because you're scared half to death. You're not praying because you have covenant and you have faith because he loves you. Come on. That's just a good answer. Man, that's good. That's just awesome. It just works for me, Brian. Go ahead. I'm done, man. Next question. I'm ready. Bring them. Right on. What is something you are hoping to see within the body of Christ that you haven't seen yet? Wow. Whew. Now, some of you are going to think raising the dead and all this stuff. You're going to be amazed how simple my answer is. See, it's bringing, I, I'm fighting off tears. Just simply rejoicing in Jesus' finished work and believing it to the point that it transforms our lives without us trying so hard. Guys, the fact that we try so hard means our hearts have been purified. And then the devil turns that against us and condemns us because we feel like we're failing in what we're called to and all this stuff. And I see people strive when they're called to live in grace. Here's what I believe God's doing. I believe God is revolutionizing our understanding in this hour to show us what he truly accomplished, to take the pressure of trying to achieve something that's already achieved off of us because you're saved by grace, so that you could step into that grace and start where he finished with a clear conscience, unveiled face, nothing to explain or justify. Just thank you, God, you're good, and having the confidence that he's in you and with you. And just people living steadfast and steady in the midst of it all. Come on, Jesus was sleeping in the storm. He's in the boat. He knew it was going to the other side. He's in there sleeping. Everybody else is, ah! Why? Because it's really a storm. The waves are big. The boat's rocking. Water's filling the boat. Assess the facts. Wow! And the first thing they say in human flesh, don't you care, master? We're going to die. I think he cares or he wouldn't have came and died. I don't think don't you care, God, is the question of our lives. I think that one's settled. I think the I love you from God has been settled through the cross. I think the measuring stick of God loving you isn't found whether your spouse lives or dies or your child lives or dies. It's found in the fact that God's son died. 
The I love you from God comes from Jesus crucified. That keeps a continual faith in your heart, and faith worketh through love. When love's in question, faith is shattered. You're driven by need. This gets reduced to a book of principles you're applying for help. Now he's a genie in a bottle, and we're perplexed. Doesn't sound like authority to me. Let me just throw this. Boy, that's a strong answer, man. I feel this thing. <laughs> Listen, you have no authority over what you fear. You're just another person reduced to being driven by need. You've become what you're going through. And I'm not condemning you, and I'm not saying God won't intervene and show mercy, but that's not the way. It's not about loving your own life. It's about not loving your own life unto death. That doesn't mean we're giving up and dying in that sense. We're dying in the sense we saw tonight so we can truly live. But the way we overcome isn't pleading the blood and confessing testimony. It's loving not your own life unto death. That's what makes the first two powerful. Do you know how many people plead the blood and quote the word because they love their own life? And they're using it as a tool to survive instead of overcome. I've heard the gospel preached countless times in the tone of survival and making it to the end instead of transformation, authority, and power. And the why behind our prayers most of the time is self-concern instead of kingdom interest. And that's why we lose our joy so quickly because nothing's going right for me. When am I going to catch a break? You caught a break when he raised from the dead. <laughs> Yay. You say, well, life isn't fair. You're right. It's not fair that I'm sitting here with the kingdom of God in me. It's love and mercy. It's not fair. It's love and mercy. So you're not looking for fair. We don't want fair. I heard a preacher say once, if you want fair, just go to hell. I'm like, no, that's bad preaching. <laughs> Come on, it's mercy. It's grace. It's not about fair. You've got to let your life be dictated by the goodness of the cross and the good news of the gospel so that you see every situation you're in through the kingdom and not just through the flesh. Come on, I, one thing I'm sorry for as a preacher and teacher is that this gospel has been taught to so many innocent ears for so long about your blessing, your breakthrough, your provision and survival. This gospel is not so you just do well to the end. It's so you shine till the end. That's almost hard. I can feel that doesn't even settle in this room, and I'm not condemning anyone. When I talk like that, it's such a new thought. I can feel the ripple in the room when I'm talking. I can perceive it in my heart. It's like, no, I don't know if I want to. Because we so want what we can get from God instead of how we become more like him. The goal is how we become more like him. We don't come to a service for what he can do for us. We come to a service to be more like him. If you're a Christian for that other reason, you're always in derision and turmoil, and you're a sitting duck in Satan, if he's real, which he is. He will just push every button possible. If there's something that determines your joy apart from knowing him and being right with him and fulfilling his will, that's the target. So why would you make yourself so accessible and say, hit me here and hit me there and make it that easy? Why don't you love not your own life unto death and every time he pokes you, manifest Jesus more and make it really difficult for him to touch you because if he touches you, Jesus is coming. Come on, treat me with injustice and let mercy triumph. Treat me in unfairness and let love cover a multitude of sin. Huh? Come on, you squeeze an orange, you expect orange juice. 
You've heard me say this. If it was apple, that would be weird. Come on, big sun kissed orange in the morning, half asleep, slights that baby pampered chef little thing, you know. Catches all that stuff. And you slide it so the pulp doesn't get stuck. It just goes right in the cup, you know. And you put it to your lips and it's apple juice. You'd spit it right back in the cup. Why? Because you squeezed an orange. And if it was apple juice, it's weird. Why isn't it weird when you squeeze a Christian and everything but Christ comes out? Man, I love to see the day when that's weird. When it's just weird to get squeezed and have anything but him come out. And Satan, he's driven, man. I don't know if you understand, but he's driven. Steal, kill, destroy, steal. False teaching, false understanding, false believing, wrong thinking. Yeah. He's just busy poking, prodding. Wonder if we would ever mess him up so bad that he pokes you and you look more like Jesus. He pokes you and you look more like Jesus. He pokes you and Jesus covers the earth. He pokes you and Jesus fills the room. Come on. All of a sudden, he can't stop poking you because that's what he's driven to do. But before, he'd just come up and go, (laughs) oh, yeah, hallelujah, Jesus, praise the Lord. (laughs) Serious, he does that stuff. Because we think this is the stuff that makes it all right. No, what you give yourself to and what you understand and what you become by grace is what determines that. You're not hiding. You're not covering up anything. You're not just trying to find yourself getting involved in something. The problem with calling something a movement, people with no identity try to find it through the movement instead of through the one that moves. You see what I'm saying? So you make it easy for the enemy Because he's the only one cut off. He's the only one hopeless. He's the only one truly angry and frustrated with no chance. Come on. He's damned and judged to eternal fire. Chained forever. That's his resume for the future. Prognosis, whatever you want to call it. You're made in the similitude of God. You're made to be his sons and daughters. You're made to shine in his image. You're made to be lights on the earth. Satan loves it. When he can make people made in the similitude of God look like him. He loves it when you're just driven by anger. He loves it when you're just frustrated and in unforgiveness. He just loves it when you stereotype people and cut off people. Jesus talked about it. He said, man, you say don't murder. But I'm telling you, if you hate somebody, you already did. Because you cut off their destiny and identity in your own eyes and heart. Jesus is for real, man. He says, look, you say don't murder. I'm telling you, if you have hate in your heart, you've already murdered. He took a whole chapter, guys, to say, you say, but I say. You say, but I say. Now, if he took a whole chapter to say, you say, but I say, he's trying to say something. He's trying to say, you ain't saying what I'm saying. (laughs) Come on, this thing isn't rocket science. I have no education, man. I, I just squeaked through city school district. I have no education, but I can get this. In fact, if it wasn't simple, I wouldn't get it. This is so simple, it's fun. He says, you say, or you have heard it said, but I say. Tells me we've been speaking the wrong language till he came. He said, you say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He happens to be Lord, guys. The way, the truth, and life. And he says, but I say to you. This sort of means something, Adam. He says, you say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is a man standing there in the flesh that's the son of God who's ready to die unjustly, more unjust than any man has ever died, and he knows it. 
He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He's going to face the greatest injustice ever that ever could be. True? And he says, you have heard it said. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy. Pray for those who use you and persecute you and give to those who despitefully used you. Why? So that you may be sons of your father. This isn't a thing of confession. I'm a son. It's a thing of manifestation. It's that 2 Corinthians 5, right? We're not confessing we're sons. We're living we're sons. And we're showing that we're sons. Because we love our enemies in the sense of who seems to be against us and your war's not flesh and so why do we make people our problem? When it's the spirit and the mentality behind it all. Come on. Why did he say we're going to love one another? Why did he say we're going to love our enemies? So we can be sons of our father. So that the world sees a mentality in us that they haven't seen. And in the beginning, they might just think you're weak-willed. They might think you're a pushover. They might think you're a pacifist or whatever. But all of a sudden, they realize you just think different. And all of a sudden, they see the strength and the power in it, not the weakness. And all of a sudden, it's amazing, and it starts changing hearts because you've been changed. That's the idea of the gospel, guys. It's not getting more money in the bank or catching a blessing or not catching the flu this year. We're, we're not trying to get from God. We're becoming more like him. We're not living in fear, hoping things work. We're living in faith by the Spirit of God. You have a whole different reason for being now that he's come. You guys with me? It's really intense. It'll keep you steadfast and solid in the face of it all. It will. It'll make you happy whoever you are instead of happy Dan. Happy Jill and happy Betty. And happy Bill. Go ahead, man. I'm done. That's good. For now. Yeah. Um. Could you please explain why it seems when some people ask for the Holy Spirit, there's more of a manifestation being slain in the spirit or tongues, and with others there isn't? I have no idea. Don't let it bother you, and don't let it change a thing. If you start living for feelings, you're going to get yourself really messed up, and you're making yourself a real sitting duck living by feelings because that's what you did your whole life apart from Christ. Living by the flesh is living by feelings. If you live by sensuality, you're in trouble. Look, you don't have to feel God. You believe God. And if you feel God in the process of believing God, praise God. <laughs> Feelings are good and fun when they're in the Lord. But if they become a must and you start feeling slighted and why are they shaking and why don't I ever shake, you might even get weird. Like I've seen some folks fall into weird where they just shake to fit in. And then you get in a position like me where you're pastor and you actually have to address it and it doesn't feel fun. Because <laughs> you feel like you could judge somebody's heart or something, but then yet you know and have discernment and you know what God's showing you. And then when they're humbled and you're beside them and you're alone and you're not doing it in front of anybody and they start to cry, then you can work on identity and why they feel the need to do that and fit in. Come on, what a selling cheat. So I got to shake to fit in with the crowd? No, you got to believe him. Believe him. Man, if you don't ever... Look, I used to feel God when I prayed for the sick. I used to feel God. It was so ridiculous when I got saved how I felt God when I prayed for the sick. My, I would get numb down my whole one side and, and then I would vibrate and tingle to my fingertips, from my elbows to my fingertips. It felt like my hands were in a paint shaker, like, but they wouldn't move. You couldn't see them shaking, but they felt like they were. 
my ribs would go numb and my whole body would tingle. And that would rev me up. I'd be like, <laughs> you know, you're ready to pray for the sick. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, <laughs> serious. Or you get near somebody and you think, whoa. It's just funny what it does, feelings. Feelings. It's like, because we've lived by them our whole lives. And one time I was coming home from a service, and, and I didn't feel anything, but people got touched, and I saw some awesome healings and stuff. And I said, Lord, I'm not feeling you when I pray for the sick. I, I've noticed I don't get the tingling. I don't. He said, Dan, I've talked to you about this before. You've been caught living by the feeling. He said, I've taken them from you, watch, so that you minister unlimited. He said, all the feelings were, were a grace in your life to get you to step into what you've never done. He said, it's like a pat on a child's little bottom when they're learning to walk, telling them, yeah, it's okay, you can do it. He said, that's all the feeling was, Dan. And yet preacher after preacher says, wait on the anointing. When aren't you anointed? When doesn't faith empower you to pray for the sick? Always. So we're not waiting for a feeling or we've waited too long. Is there times I feel him? Is there times he feels to get greater in the room? Is there times some atmospheres seem different? Yeah, for whatever reason. When we go trying to explain that, we're going to stop the power of faith in God and faith through God. You follow me? If you need to feel God's love before you believe God's love, I would hope he never allows that. Because then you'll have to live from experience to experience. And the moment you don't feel his love, you'll think something changed inadvertently. I had a lady come to me and say, I've been prayed for by the best ministers around, the most anointed men of God that's come through this town. Because I was in a city where a lot of folks was preaching. And she said, I see the love of God in you. I can tell you have his love and know his love. She said, I need you to lay hands on me so I can feel his love. I have never felt God's love. So lay your hands on me. And I said, honey, I will not do you that injustice. You say, what? You should have laid hands on her and let God slay her in his feet. She's chasing a feeling. The greatest thing she could do is just believe he loves her through the cross. Jesus loves me, this I know, because I felt it while I was laying in my bed. <laughs> That's not how the song goes. Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? Because this book told me. And if I can just believe that and start there and believe, I'm going to run well. And all of a sudden, through believing, he'll entrust you with a stewardship and a manifestation of a knowing. Whether it's a goosebump, a fiery flame, or just a knowing, it's a gift and it's good. I feel God when I worship. I feel God when I just drive in and I just say, Lord Jesus. He just touches me in a special way. It's not safe to always tell that and talk that because then people want to feel that same thing. No, the greatest thing you can do is believe he's Lord and the rest will take its course and God will make it known through your life that you believe he's Lord, whether you feel him or not. My buddy Todd, you, most of you know Todd, and uh, he just stands out, you know. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he stands out without trying. He just does. God's just, 
messed that boy up in a good way. <laughs> He's not in the room long without somebody knowing Jesus. It's fun. But he doesn't feel anything. He felt a lot when he was a drug addict. It's probably okay if he doesn't feel anything. It's probably okay if he just believes. These spot signs follow those that are tearing it up in manifestations. These signs follow those that believe. Your greatest strength is believing his love and believing the gospel and believing heaven's with you and believing that when you lay your hands on the sick, his hand is coming right through yours. It'd be good to believe that. I was in a service once and a four-year-old walked up and said, this is for you, Pastor Dan. This is what I saw. I said, this is what you saw. When four-year-olds talk like that, you listen. Sometimes when the 40-year-olds talk like that, I don't always listen. <laughs> Forgive me, I'm just being real. <laughs> when the four-year-olds say it, you better listen. And I had been praying for some sick folks. And I took the paper and I looked at it and it was this big hand and inside was a littler hand. And I said, what is this? And she said, that's what I saw. She said, that's your hand and this big hand is God's hand. And when you were touching the sick, his big hand was gone. I said, you saw that? She said, when you would lay your hands on him and I drew it. Four years old. <laughs> you think I need to feel goosebumps? <laughs> Not today, friend. <laughs> Holy Spirit is not a goosebump. And he's not a manifestation. He's the person. God, the Holy Spirit, who's amazing and mighty. He's afraid of nothing. <laughs> and nothing has a chance with him if it ain't of God. <laughs> so it'd be good to just trust Holy Ghost and believe him and not have to feel him. Yeah, but I want the fire, brother. So stay fired up. <laughs> Come on. Come on, a lot of people want a different answer. They just want to go home and God just... Come on, if God does that, great, and let it hit the mark and change the world. But if you're just doing that for confirmation, affirmation, it's probably why it hasn't come, because you're, you're called to believe. And if you need a manifestation to believe, then that's a weakness in your life, and Satan will play you like a fiddle your whole life. You guys with me? Good. You clear with that? Okay. Now, you didn't, you didn't hear that I'm against manifestations, right? I'm for faith. Amen. Amen. There's uh, three statements, and this will kind of help you reveal where the person's coming from when they get to the question, okay? okay? My husband claims to be a Christian but comes off as very critical. He feels that when someone is wrong, he's to tell them about it. I feel unequally yoked and that he's holding me back. I want to move forward. How do I handle this? <laughs> I don't know who you are, and if you're in the room, please love me. It's impossible for him to hold you back unless you have an eye that allows that. No one can keep you from God's presence, from the work of Holy Spirit, and you becoming love. If you fix your eyes on what he doesn't see and let what he doesn't see determine what you do see, you've been deceived, and you're making him Lord and the governor over your life, but you're singing Jesus as Lord. Now, I know I'm talking strong. It's because I don't know who you are, and I'm letting you know I'm not mad at you and upset. Please don't be deceived and let your husband decide who you are in Christ. You ought to cry for your husband and say, man, if he really knew who he was, he wouldn't be touching people that way. So pursue to grow in Christ more, shine more, sow greater seeds, and let God work it out. So if he is being critical, that doesn't change a thing about you. You just keep growing in love and be more loving. 
Your, your, your husband or your wife cannot be a stumbling block to your life and your growth unless you allow them to be, and you need them to be something for you to be okay. And it's actually, most of the church wouldn't agree with this. A lot of leaders would say this is wrong, but it's actually a form of idolatry. It's you depending on something you weren't created for to need. It's, 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 it's depending on something outside of the Lord. He's the fullness. To know the love of Christ, is to be filled with all the fullness of God. Look, I want our marriages great, and I want us to all grow and learn to love one another and honor one another. That's the goal. But if it's not happening, why are you letting that define and dictate who you are? It's idolatry. You're letting something outside of Christ define you. So it's impossible. My wife has no ability to hold me back unless my eye changes and I allow her for some deceptive reason. Who can keep me from God's presence? Who can keep me from becoming love and manifesting the spirit and walking in grace and making peace? I'm the steward of my heart. Nobody else governs my heart but the Lord. So let's stop saying somebody can hold us back. No, in all our getting, let's get understanding. You say, yeah, but you don't know the marriage I'm in. Come on, if God was taking that mentality, he'd say, man, you don't know the earth that I'm watching over, man. These people are knuckleheads, man. They say one thing and do another. They say they never will and do anyway. I don't know whether I'm coming or going. It's good I don't slumber because I'd never sleep. Come on. God ain't thinking like that. Who of you ever came to God sincerely to repent and he said, Oh, it's you. You know, I've been wooing you for like six months, right? You know that, right? In fact, six months ago, you had the greatest opportunity to come to me than you ever have. And in the last six months, you've caused a lot of hell and pain. And now you're here. I don't even know what you're doing. You put me through a lot. I, look, I don't know if I even want my heart on this yo-yo string. You, I don't even know where we stand anymore. I'm not even sure why you're here because you've put me through a lot and you've hurt me a bunch. <laughs> See, that sounds so foolish when you put that in God's mouth. It ought to sound just as foolish in yours. You're made for his image. And his way is your way. The only reason we're so hurt and taken back by these things is because we really are living for ourselves without realizing it, admitting it, and addressing it. Let me show you something in James, because that question's got me excited. That's a good question. Whoever asks it, thanks for the humility of asking it. And I'm not condemning you. I'm saying, don't you be deceived and let your husband decide who you are. Let Jesus figure that out and decide that so you see rightly your husband. Because here's the problem. If you don't see your husband rightly, it'll start dividing your heart. You'll start feeling sorry for yourself. You'll start justifying things and blaming it on him. And, and watch this. Can you imagine this? Any of us can imagine this. So one day we stand before God and we look into his liquidy, fiery eyes of eternal love and unsearchable wisdom. We don't even know what it's going to be like, guys. Come on. He's, we're going to meet him and look at him face to face. And you're going to go, right? Can you imagine doing this? Uh, uh, I, I would have believed you if it wasn't for my spouse. That would be pitiful. And you won't even be able to think it. You'll just go, duh, I was deceived. But here's the problem. There's a sentimental mindset in the church that hasn't died in water baptism and died to the flesh where a lot of us have our own pains and hurts and we don't make good counselors because of that. So all we do is pass on how we'd feel instead of who Jesus is. 
He says, don't let many of you be teachers. There's a stricter judgment. Some of us are even finding our identity through feeling like we're helping people. But if you're not giving them the counsel of God, if you're giving them permission to stay hurt or look like the flesh, if you're just saying, oh, honey, I'm sorry he's doing that to you. I wish he'd love you more. You deserve more. Honey, you can't stay in this. You need more than this. That is a deceptive trap. It's going to give you permission to walk on a road that Jesus never traveled. Now I'm being strong and straight. All right? This thing is real. Because all of a sudden, your unresolved conflicts and your hurt and your pain starts rising up desires and motives and motivation. And all of a sudden, you have eyes to see something you wouldn't even see if everything was okay. And all of a sudden, you become manipulated and fashioned by the crisis instead of fashioned by the Christ. And all of a sudden, you're nothing more than a product of what you're going through in the name of the Lord. And you can cover it with Christian language, but it's not God. I know that's strong, but boy, that's in me. Is that all right, Pastor? You guys okay? Come on, I am not cool with you slipping in to feeling sorry for yourself in any situation. I'm serious, and I know some things are tough, and I wish it was different. I wish everybody had a strong desire for God. Come on. But if you're going to let your life determine, be determined by whether other people are hungry for God, what is that? It's like somebody going to a church and saying, boy, that church isn't loving, which should have been you were there. <laughs> so why are you letting everything else determine who you are? Why don't you let the one that we say is awesome determine who we are? Come on, we've been trained by this stuff. We just church shop, look for a place that's just everything we need it to be. And then after six months, you go, boy, I don't know. Things really changed here. It used to be good. I don't know what happened to Adam. <laughs> that's twisted. That's deception. You're not coming here because you church shopped and found the church. You wonder if you'd ask God where you should go. You'd be amazed where you'd end up. He'd put you around people that challenge you and shape you and stretch you. Because it's not God for you to say, I don't know, they just bother me. Well, they don't bother God. He loves them to the point of death so they can live. You say, well, they just ruffle my feathers. Well, then get plucked. <laughs> serious. I'm not being mean. It's not about them changing. It's about you seeing them different. I said it this morning. You say, well, they just get under my skin. I said, get new skin. You know, we've done it for years in the church. Guys, like, well, I need you to pray for my job. My boss just really bothers me. Well, you're to be an example to your boss, a living epistle. He has no right to bother you. Why do you give him the power? You should cry for him, not cry because of him. If he's living that way, there's something he doesn't understand. That ought to break your heart, not hate your heart. You want to kneel and cry for him, not cry because you loathe and hate your job. And I don't know why you let me go through this, God. And if you love me, why do you let them spew on me like this? Why aren't you protecting me? He has protected you by giving you a whole new reason for being. Sending you to work with a whole new perspective and motivation. So light can walk in there. Not somebody trying to survive. Am I making sense? Come on, guys, this is one of the ways in the church we've really messed things up. We've just made it about everybody around us treating us right and always praying for the best around us instead of becoming the best. 
Listen, when I worked secular, I did several jobs after I was saved. One, I was already there 13 years as one of the guys. That was interesting because I was there 13 years as one of the guys, and all of a sudden I'm transformed and saved. Well, they're all saying I'm in a cot and I'm brainwashed. And, and I would laugh and say, my brain's been thoroughly washed. They go, oh, my God. Folks started getting healed. Stuff started happening in my workplace, and it was fun. And then I went into pastoring two and a half years in, and them guys thought, man, this guy is really for real. And years later, they'd see me over in a marketplace. For two and a half years, I sat in a booth, just made myself available every Saturday for somebody if they wanted prayer. Just two and a half years, just sat in a booth. Why? Because it was right, because your life's not your own. I wasn't allowed to solicit. I wasn't allowed to try to pull them in the booth. I'd just sit there, and if they came through the door, man, it was over for them. <laughs> Seriously, God got them, man. Yeah, John used to visit me in there. Remember the lady walked in that time, and I had to go to the bathroom so bad. And you wouldn't stop talking to me, remember? <laughs> I think that's how it went. You were telling me a long story and then a story within a story. Do you ever do that? Okay. Well, that's what was happening, John. And I had, I'm doing this right in the camera, John. You're going to watch this, right? Okay. And, and we were sitting there. Do you remember this? And it's one of them times, I don't know why us guys do this, but you have to go, and you know you have to go, and a half hour later, you really have to go. And you're sitting there talking, and you're, you're literally, you can't even hold still, because you're trying to finish your conversation, but with John, it never ends. So it's frivolous, just go pee, right? And I'm still, and all of a sudden, I said, John, look, I gotta go to the bathroom. It was at the point where, you've ever been in this? where you weren't sure you were going to make it. Like, you were holding it so long that the closer you got, the less willpower you had to... Are you guys following me? So I turned to the door to go to the bathroom, and I'm like... And this lady comes in, starts weeping, and says, Can we talk? And what I do, John? Supernatural. I said, Of course, honey. Come here. She was secretly drinking as a Christian at night put herself to sleep. She was alcoholic, Christian, crying out for help and came. God shook her, didn't he? It was fun. And after it was all over, we're talking and high-fiving and she heads out and we're hugging. I sit down and we're, and we're, we're talking. Oh, okay. See how much grace is on my life? I sat down and thought I was sitting nice and straight. It didn't even... We all right? What? I feel solid, man. Just stop looking. I feel good. So, so watch. We were sitting, right? And, and all of a sudden, we like realized I never even went to the bathroom. And watch this. I didn't even have to. It supernaturally went away. So it was just cool. I don't even know why I got into that whole story. I don't know. Maybe you ought to throw me another question. Did you, did you guys get that question, though, that the lady wrote? Who's ever felt this way? Be honest. Whoever has actually believed that your spouse or a close relationship or family member was holding you back. Be honest, because it's, it's a lot. But who, in raising your hands humbly, would, would, would bear witness to my answer and realize that you don't have to let it be that way, that you can embrace a higher way of thinking? You see what I'm saying? And overcome evil with good. Tone down a harsh word with a kind word. 
mercy triumph over judgment, love cover a multitude of sin. These are all scriptures, guys. Well, pray for me because it's really hard living with her. It's really hard living with him. Stop that. Stop that. Man, if Jesus would ever say that to you, you'd be crushed and hopeless forever. Well, it's really hard living with you. But the time you think you're getting it, you don't have it. I get my hopes up and you succeed and then flop again. How many times can you flop? Come on. Did you picture that? You say, well, no, but he's God. Yeah, but he made us in his image and he lives in us and we're his embodiment. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives and dwells in us. Let's stop making an exception and relating to flesh rather than life in the spirit. Is that fair? When John 16 says that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, how does the Holy Spirit do that, and what does it mean to convict the world of judgment? Boy, that's a beautiful question. Man, that's a good question. Convict means to shine light upon. Some people, did you ever notice this? Some people could say, like, they're atheists and they don't believe in God, but when they're facing death, you find out just how weak folks are. Most people testify and, and, and let people know and they're so vulnerable at that place because once you're in the throes of that thing and facing it, the real you comes out. You follow what I'm saying? I believe that could be part of that whole judgment thing. But convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's the work of Holy Spirit to the shine the light upon the fact that we've needed a Savior, that we've lived life in our own strength, in our own way, in our own wisdom, that there's an answer. It's called the righteous judgment of God, that through Christ, he paid the price to remove it all so we could start afresh and be brand new born again people, right? And of judgment standing before him in that day. You can keep judgment just that simple, that you're going to stand before him in that day and answer for your life. You see what I'm saying? I believe in, I believe in hell with all my heart. It's so scriptural. There's a thing out there that says there's no hell. Be very careful. It's all over the Internet that God loves us. And he's not sending anybody to hell, et cetera, et cetera. It's just too clear in the word that there's heaven, there's hell, there's judgment, there's righteousness, there's unrighteousness. That stop diminishing God's grace to subvert our own ability to respond to him and to grow in him. Here's the deal. If you preach grace apart from transformation, you're preaching perversion. Grace is God's empowerment for you to change. Grace isn't God's permission slip to stay the same. Grace is God's empowerment to change you. If you preach grace apart from transformation, it's perversion. Because grace is the etching tool of God. It's the workmanship of God that makes you more like him. All right? So don't confuse mercy and grace. Mercy gives you a chance when you deserve none. Grace makes you more like him when you've repented and given your heart back to him. Grace kicks in at this water baptism when folks stand up and say, I'm selling out, I'm giving it all. They come out and grace meets them. And grace empowers you. You're saved by grace through... Every time you release faith in the truth and faith in what Jesus says over how you feel... Grace starts to come to make that faith your reality and let you have a knowing in your heart where it's not a blind faith. You know you're right with God. You know he forgives you. You know he's good. You know you have destiny. You know your life is on purpose. 
Anytime you release faith in the truth, grace comes to make that truth your reality. Not because you bit your lip to believe better, but because you release simple childlike faith in the honor of God's word, and grace comes and makes it yours. So here's what I talk about becoming love and stuff. The really the prerequisite, the, the thing that you have to line up to, it's not works, the position yourself for, is you just have to want to be, sincerely want to be more like him. You get alone and talk to the Lord like that, about being more like him. Holy Spirit gets so excited, he starts doing a work inside of you. You get thrown into things where you used to be one way, and all of a sudden you're different, and you don't even know how. You can hardly explain it, but you know you've been with him. And you know you sincerely want to respond different. And you're not just trying to get a grip on your actions. You've been alone with him. And all of a sudden, people say, man, you're really different. You used to this, and I don't see you do that anymore. How did you get a hold of that? What? Man, I used to see you this, and all of a sudden, you're not. And all of a sudden, you can't even give him an answer because there's nothing you did. You didn't bite your lip to change. You just know you've been with him, and you've wanted change. All of a sudden, you're weeping and love him all the more because he's amazing. And guess who gets all the glory? <laughs> so it's no super Christian. It's just an amazing God and people that believe. Amen? We are what we are by the grace of God. Yay. Go ahead. Are we still obligated to tithe in the New Testament? There's no standard for tithing. It's just cheerful giving. I know a lot of pastors won't like me saying this. Tithing is an Old Testament uh, standard, and people say because that's the only standard we have, we apply it to the new. Man, if you are a chill forgiver in relationship with God, you're not going to get petty with tithing percentages. You're going to give liberally and cheerfully, and you're going to follow Corinthians. You give sparingly, reap sparingly. Give bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. I, I would say that Christian giving in the true heart of God in the sense of New Testament far outweighs the tithe anyway. That's not to judge you. You start where faith is. Please don't get trapped in legalism and don't feel judged. A lot of people use Malachi and really hit that thing hard to keep the boat afloat. And I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying that stuff has happened. I'm not, I don't have anything in mind when I'm saying that. But here's what I'm saying. The more you're in fellowship with God, in relationship with Jesus, the more your heart becomes a giving heart anyway. And it's not about, when you're a Christian for those right reasons, it's not about what you can get from God. It's how you can become more like him and his blessings for you to become a blessing. You have provision in abundance, and it's not to hoard. It's to multiply and spread. And wow, this house has food. You see what I'm saying? I, there's no New Testament standard for, for tithing. Jesus never said to give a percentage, but he did talk about giving. The book of Acts, the the the. the the apostles, they told Paul and Barnabas when he sent them out to make sure they remembered the poor. And Paul said something we were already glad and willing to do. So it's, it's in the Christian heart to be a giver. So please, let's not get legalistic with it. And let's not bind each other up with it. Let's just grow in relationship with God more. And let's see the joy in giving. And one thing I never preach, and I know I could get some real rebuttal on this. I never preach give to get. I preach give because you love. Man, if you, if you, if you, people say, I, I've refused offerings sometimes when I've traveled for different reasons. God gives me perceptions, and sometimes the giving's religious, and I, I'm, I like challenging that stuff. And just, I just like it. And uh, when, when it's a religious thing, what they always say is, what do you mean you're not receiving offering? You ain't robbing me of my blessing. And I say, look, if the only reason you're giving to me is for your blessing, man, keep it anyway. You give it because you honor and respect and you're so and see, why are you giving for your blessing? That's pretty selfish. 
Well, I'm trying to find good ground so I get a good return. That stuff is so preached that our motives have gotten so messed up in why we do what we do. The goal of our instruction is love. We're not given to gain. We're given because Jesus is a giver and he loves and he's laid down his life. So we're laying down ours too. You'll find if you live that way and give that way, you won't be praying for nothing. God will just be taking care of what's necessary in the moment. I promise you. If you'll live that way. There's been so much emphasis on that that folks haven't spent time growing in God and maturing in grace and growing in the character of God. We've been just trying to learn to live in a way that gets more increase. Some of us, if the increase would come, it would mess us up. We ain't even ready for the million bucks you're praying for. When the wealth of the wicked should be turned over to the righteous, we'll make sure you understand righteousness. Because <laughs> the wealth of the wicked could make something wicked in you. <laughs> I'm just saying. Boy, I can feel ripples when I talk about this stuff. We've been so taught a certain way by so many folks. But I'm not afraid to challenge that thing a little bit and ruffle that a little. Come on, man. I've, I've never been compelled to give because of messages and teaching. I've been compelled by love. I want to give to people. I want to help people. If I have something to give, it says if I have it and I see they need it, man, how can I not give it and the love of God be in me? So I'm going to do what I can as an individual. And if you do what you can, I bet we'll touch a lot. And I bet it won't be legalistic and, well, I'm supposed to give this amount and that amount and I need to budget around this percent. Why don't you live a little more free than that and let God really open the windows of heaven? Are you following? I hope you guys are okay because I know I went against the grain of a lot of your upbringing and teaching. But it's just there's no New Testament standard. to Just give liberally and give from the heart. Be a cheerful giver. Not a, oh, my God, i got to do my tithe. I'm not speaking for any pastor in this room. I'd rather you keep it if that's your attitude and get a good grip on your heart before you plunk that thing. Because that would just be aimless giving to me. I'm not even, I'm just speaking for any pastor. That would be my response if I was pastoring a church. Go ahead. How come someone can cast out devils in his name and perform, perform miracles only to have him say to the person, I never knew you? Okay, that's, now this one, you're just going to have to hear my own heart. It's not always healthy to say this, but this is just my belief. It's my understanding of that scripture. You want to go there? It's Matthew 7, guys. He's not talking about a backslidden person. He's not talking about a man that got off track. That's one thing you have to understand. In that scripture, he says, depart from me, I never knew you. You've got to catch that. Okay? There's some people that get trapped in works. There's some people that, man, I know people that have gotten hurt in their heart. They start a work in the name of the Lord because of their hurt. And stay in a little group for years and just minister in that little group with that little group and most of that group's hurt. And they feel like they've all prophesied over each other and they've all this and that and they're living in that little realm of unresolved conflict and hurt and pain and it's utter total deception. It's happened a lot over the course of time. And all of a sudden you stand before God and say, haven't we? Jesus never said they did miracles. They did. 
Jesus never said they cast out devils. They said they casted out the devils. And that's the part nobody talks about. They're self-professed. And their heart has nothing to do with truth or God. And Jesus is so not impressed with their self-profession. And he's going, what are you even talking about? I don't even know you. You guys following? I honestly don't have the conviction that he's talking about people that are raising the dead, casting out devils, and doing the works of Matthew 10. I don't think he's talking about that. I think he's talking about a self-profession that's a camouflage and a denial of something that's unresolved or whatever. You're hiding behind a confession. And you're not in fellowship with God, and your heart's not for him. Follow me? Watch. Let me read it for you. Not everyone. Thank you, man of God. <laughs> Did I take too long for you? <laughs> See, he's got my back, man. He's helping me out. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Well, when he's standing there in that day, everybody's going to say, Lord. Is every knee going to bow? Is every tongue going to confess he's Lord? So they're going to say, Lord. Lord! <laughs> right? Lord, Lord! <laughs> but he's saying, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, you can read that and interpret that real legalistic, and you can say a lot of things. And like, well, you went to church your whole life, and you paid your tithes, and you gave to the poor, and you this, but you missed the call of God on your life, and da-da-da. You know, that's just some of that stuff people get deceived in. Sometimes we get misguided, but our hearts are pure along the way. This thing isn't about perfection. It's about purity. The pure in heart shall see God. So you have to be careful. Nobody puts bondage and legalism on you with these scriptures, but there is a sober revelation here. He who does the will of my Father. So if you're praying sincerely and seeking God in your life and asking Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you and at work to let your life be an example, do you think you'll probably do pretty well? And even if you feel like you're missing it at times, do you think God will intervene and grow you and help you and teach you if you're asking? Because all that ask? Many's going to say, Lord, but not everybody's going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me, they're saying it to him. But Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name? I don't know. <laughs> I guess time will tell, huh? Do you know I've seen people that got caught up in their gifting and they kind of knew they had the gift because everybody was quick to call them a prophet and they never got close to God, developed a relationship with God. They just rode the wave of their gifting and they felt anointed and accepted and honored and like somebody because they spoke words all the time. That's weird. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't let your gifting be your identity. and Don't let it be misguided and misused. Because if it's misguided and misused, there's so many times you'll speak out of the flesh and you'll speak in the moment and you'll say the thing that everybody needs to hear because it'll gain attention and notoriety and people will appease you and applaud you and you'll feel good because you don't feel good. I hope you got that. If you have to prophesy to feel good about yourself, stop prophesying. Get a grip on who you are in Christ before you open your mouth. Please, I'm not being mean. It's that serious. You're not finding your identity through the way God uses you. 
You're finding your identity through what his son accomplished, and then he uses you from that healthy wellspring. The Bible says you can have knowledge of all mysteries. Now be careful with this and watch this. Ooh, I'm up off the stool now. (laughs) Knowledge of all mysteries and faith to move all mountains. That's a spiritual icon in today's church. Everybody wants impartation from that person. And he's the keynote speaker at the World Conference. And the Bible says if he doesn't have love, he's missed the point. And you want him to lay hands on you and give you what he's got. The Bible says knowledge of all mysteries. It's on purpose that he goes to the extreme. He didn't say some, Pastor. He said all mysteries. That so wows us that we automatically grovel and fall at their God's using you. He says if he doesn't have love, he's missed the point. Why? Because some way along the line, the way it's happening is feeding him and and he's becoming and it's going to cause a crash and burn. It's going to be a problem down the road. You can have the knowledge of all mysteries, Adam, faith to move all mountains, and if you don't have love, you've missed the point. It goes on to say you can give your goods to the poor. It's in Corinthians 13. They're on it, man. Who is that masked man? Dude, you're amazing. He's on it. Look, you can give all your possessions and feed the poor. Look, feeding the poor is the will of God and it's a commandment. And he uses it as an example that you can actually do what God commanded you to do. But if you do it apart from the heart of love, you've missed the point. You must have did it to feel good about yourself or get somebody to notice you. And it's never about that. It's about them noticing Jesus. You following? And surrender your body to be burned. Whoopee. You don't have love. It profits you nothing. Man, the best you'll get is maybe a, a, a fleshy legacy and they'll make us put a statue in the city of you. And 100 years after you're dead, they'll tell your story. Oh, you want him to tell his story. You want to do what you do from love. These folks are probably in that trap. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? I'm not sure. They think so. But regardless, what Jesus said was, depart from me, I never knew you. He's not talking about a misguided minister. He's not talking about a backslidden person. He's not talking to somebody that got off track. He's talking to somebody that's never come. It's hiding behind something. I wanted to share this earlier. This question's kind of provoked it up again because I didn't, I didn't hit it, but I'm going to do it quick. You all right with that, Pastor Adam? Good, man. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show. This is kind of like that 2 Corinthians 5 thing, standing before God for our works. Let him show by the good conduct of his life that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So in other words, who really knows what they're talking about? Let their life prove it. Not their sermon. Their life. Now watch. But if you have bitter envy, And self-seeking in your heart. See, you're the only one that knows that. You, your conscience, and God. So it's not for me to know that. It's for you to know that. If you have self-seeking in your heart, it says don't boast and lie against the truth. 
In other words, stop trying to appear to be something you know you're not. Deal with your heart and get it right. Don't come and sing, holy is the Lord, and live with self-seeking in your heart. Don't boast and lie against the truth. Do you get that? Come on, because if it's there, you know it. Don't cover it up. What if Matthew 7 is people that just covered it up and never faced the reality of their heart? And they just tried to hide in Christian atmospheres, go to the happening churches, make sure they're in all the meetings. And in those meetings, they try to find a way to manifest, use them as a platform to be noticed. That stuff's all around. Won't you ever let that be you? Because if you're doing that, deep in your heart, you know it. And address it now and stop it now. Become this higher wisdom he's talking about in this chapter. Watch this. Whew, this stuff messes me up. I'm crying inside. You have no idea. I just can't cry because I have to answer questions. But man, am I crying inside. This stuff is in the church, and God wants it out of us. Not because we're evil and wicked, because we're more than that. God never has a fellow talk like I talk to show you where you're not. It's to show you where you're called. You follow me? It's not so you leave here and say, boy, I've got a long way to go. So you leave here excited and say, boy, I've got somewhere to go. Man, the light is on the trail, and the trail is straight in front of me. I'm excited to run this race. That's why a fella talks like I talk. I think love would be that straight. Or we could soft pedal it and tickle your ears, and you could just all love me for the rosy message. Boy, that would be, that just sounded weird saying it. <laughs> it's funny, you know, because I get a lot of love and appreciation from people in almost an overwhelming way. You guys have been so gracious. Pastor, you introduced me last Sunday at your own house, and it's just my family church. And I'm like, stop it. It's like too much. Stop. You're like, going to make me cry. And then Todd gets up and shares and cries. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? And I go and I travel, and people run up to me and say the most incredible things. Because the internet is so profuse, I'm starting to get stopped and flagged in airports. People are recognizing me and saying, oh, my gosh, and crying in the airport, hugging me. It's, 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 really, it's really amazing. It's really humbling. You see what I'm saying? It's really, but I don't preach. I preach straight-up stuff. Like, I'm pretty challenging. Like, I mean, like this one lady said in Colorado, she said, the things you're saying are so offensive. <laughs> she said, but nobody's getting offended. I said, yeah, I know. She said, it's like you have this grace to say whatever's needed in the room and just get away with it. <laughs> Here's what I'm trying to say. I'm not preaching some la-la message and drawing the tickling ears and drawing the surface affections of men. People are actually telling me they appreciate me for being straight and honest and truthful and challenging their lives. That says a lot about us. Right? I say, listen, I don't preach this way because we woke up evil this morning. In all our getting, get understanding. I preach this way because we want to hear it. And God will do something with it as we yield and respond. So here I am getting loved and honored for being straight shooter. And I think that's awesome. 
I've been that way ever since I've been saved. But people say, oh, he's so loving. And we know. And if people know your motive and understand your heart and they can see that you care inside you, you can say anything with a smile. They're in open heart surgery, circumcised and cut, bleeding and laughing. Like they don't even, they're like, ha, 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 oh, oh. <laughs> I, I've seen it so many times. And I'm like, this is so funny. But I've learned that if your motive's love, if you're doing what you're doing for the reason of God, you can say what's needed in the moment. Look, if you're just correcting somebody because you're bothered, don't even discipline your children because you're mad at them. Because if I told you once, I told you a hundred times, get to your room. Please don't do that to your kids. If you've done that up until now, let it change starting tonight. By saying, God, you've never done that to me. That's not the way I'm the father and mother of my children. I'm not doing that anymore. Teach me grace and teach me how to discipline them for their sake. Teach me how to discipline them, and in doing it, teaching them that they're much more than they're giving themselves to. They have a greater destiny than they understand, that their life carries a higher value than what they're submitting to. And the reason that we're pulling the reins on you and disciplining you is to show you that these actions will cost you in life and bring pain to your life. We love you enough to call this thing in order. Son, you're so much more than what you're giving yourself to. You're not doing it because... Boy, you so disrespect us, and we've raised you, boy, and we've fed you, and da-da-da, and you dishonor us, and you do. And all of a sudden, you're trying to live your kid's life for them. And all of a sudden, you find you're finding your identity through your children and family. No wonder you're crushed because the family looks shambles. Come on, your identity's not in your family. Your identity's in Christ so you can steward your family in love. I don't know how I get on that, but boy, it feels good. <laughs> don't correct your children just because you're mad. Get a grip on your heart. Walk away. Don't be afraid to repent to your kids for touching them in the wrong way. Even though they needed it, let it come from the right place. And if it doesn't, recognize it and go make it right with them and tell them, listen, when Daddy talked to you a while ago, I had really let what you said get get to me, and it showed me that I have some places to grow. Now, it doesn't justify what you've done, son. What you've done, man, it's so not who you are. And you're so much, and you got a grip now in your heart, and you can talk real plain, and now your words will carry the weight of heaven, not just correction. And all of a sudden, grace is with what you're doing, instead of just human discipline and hardness and rebellion and whatever. And I'm telling you, if you train a child in the way they should go, when they grow old, they won't depart. You say, how old do they got to get? <laughs> keep your eyes on the truth. If you train a child in the way they should go, When they grow, watch what Psalms 112 says to the righteous. Fear the Lord, keep his commandments, and your descendants will be mighty upon the earth. Guess what we do? Get our eyes on our descendants, fail to fear the Lord and keep his commandments, and let where they're not determine where we are. What a deception. Keep your eyes on Jesus and watch grace cover your family. No matter how far they seem to be sinking, you keep rising and let God raise them up. Don't let where they're not determine where you are. Let who Jesus is be the truth about you. And watch grace come into the situation. And only in that scenario do you really have a true grace to speak into their lives. Because then your heart's pure. And the pure in heart shall see God. And it's not just right and wrong. It's I love you. Does that make sense? I know that wasn't a question. That just was a bonus. But it felt right in my heart. So what do we got now? Dude, you're too much. (laughs) 
Let me finish this quick. James chapter 3. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, come on. Get a grip. Deal with that thing. Don't boast. Don't lie against the truth. Watch. This wisdom does not descend from above. It's earthly, sensual, feeling-driven, emotional-driven, and demonic. Now watch. Watch this. This is a warning, man, where envy and self-seeking are present. Confusion and every evil thing is there. So here's a spouse just shook up. Remember that earlier question about spouse and hold me back? So here's a spouse just legitimately just shook up by the analytical way they're thinking and the agreement and cheering on from certain friends that are hurt by their hurt and can't believe they're doing that to you and you deserve more. That's the last kind of language you need to entertain your feelings with. Could you imagine what that would do if God ever looked at us and said, man, I deserve more. He's never done that and people still struggle with condemnation. He's done the total opposite. See, I always flip it. And if I can't find it in the mind of God, I don't want it in mine. You guys follow me? So watch this. So that wife that wrote that question, not saying the, the specific wife, but that scenario, say a wife in that scenario gets alone in a room, starts crying out of her pain, and God, and I just bind these spirits of darkness, and I come against the evil workings of darkness that are binding my husband, and bam, bam, and you think you're doing warfare, and you got your husband so assessed as a demonic being, and all you can see is darkness, and boy, I live in a house, and I can feel the darkness all over me when he walks in the room. No, it's because you got yourself so in a screen, you got it so stereotyped, and now watch what you're doing. You're praying against all that stuff that's become your problem and your focus, and then turning around in your prayer, coming from the same place with self-centeredness, envy, frustration, anger, you're binding the spirits of darkness at the same time you're functioning in them. And you're calling it warfare. No, it's utter confusion. I know this stuff's not talked about much, and it's pretty shocking when you talk about it, and people get quiet, and you can always feel the ripple on these topics. You're not called to combat the spirits of darkness in that way and then find yourself functioning in them. You're called to walk in love. It's the greatest form of intercession. Shine a light. It exposes and removes darkness. Are you guys following me? The wisdom from above, guess what it is? It's first pure. It's peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy. Not, I can't believe you did that to me. Well, how do I know you're not going to hurt me again? Will you always break my trust? Well, that's the problem. We put our trust in people. Put your trust in God so that you can see them through God. If I have an expectation on Adam and I need Adam to be a certain way for me to be okay, I've just set up my buddy to fail and I've set him up to disappoint me. And now I become a product of how good he's doing. And if he doesn't do well, then I have a justification for being less than okay and it's his fault. And then when I hear his name, all I can think about is what he failed in instead of his calling and destiny. What a mess. Can you repeat that? And, and, and I'm sorry, and, and slow it down. Because that, that's right there, that's every counseling session that ever needs to be said. I, you, you that would I mean? end counseling sessions. Yes. We don't need to counsel, we think. Yeah, go ahead. I said, if I get a relationship with Pastor Adam, and all of a sudden I start putting expectations on him to where I need him to be a certain way for me to be okay, 
Now, I'm not talking about us running a race together, locking arms, going after the kingdom, working together in ministry. But even then, if I allow an expectation in his life to define how I'm doing and my motivation, I'm deceived. I'm allowing him to determine how well I'm doing. Because if I do that with Adam, then I'm setting him up to fail, and then I'm setting me up to be disappointed. Now I'm another hurt minister. I'm someone that can't even go to church because the church is always hurting it. <sighs> if that's in the room tonight, that mentality, please let it die and lay on the floor as you walk out of here. Go throw it in that water tonight before you leave as an act of faith and say, I'm done being hurt. I wasn't created to be hurt. I was created to be loved. Guess what love does? Love takes no account of a suffered wrong. Not a suffered mistake, a suffered wrong. Love, guys, love takes no account of a suffer wrong. How is that possible? Because love doesn't seek its own. So unless you deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him, you're not going to see the kingdom. He said, unless you love less, your wife, your children, your houses, your land, and yes, even your own life, you'll by no means be my disciple and follow out what I created you for. Why? Because you'll let something on that list get in the way. Now, how many counseling sessions are embraced with all those things on that list being your problem and you can't get through because those things aren't going right? And somebody needs to change for you to be okay. That is total deception. Jesus remains the same. He's the one that's constant in this equation. No turning, shifting a shadow. Why don't you keep growing in truth? Amen? You guys all good? I'm smiling still. You ought to be smiling. It's getting late probably too. I've seen some folks leaving. They're not leaving because my answers aren't good. They're just leaving because they have to. Okay. Go ahead. Amen. Um, I, I saw a question here. It says, this is, I just love the heart of this question. It says, everything you say on living out the gospel makes sense in my mind, but it seems it hasn't come alive in my heart. How can I assist my heart in that? That's an awesome question. Don't condemn yourself and judge yourself and think that you're not getting it. The fact that you want what you're hearing is a big deal. Okay? So that's a big yay already. There's a lot of people that hear this stuff. There's people in a room this size. The Lord showed me a long time ago. He said, Dan, you just keep preaching clear on becoming love. There's always a handful of folks that in their hearts say, I don't want that. But you still have to convict them of that because the Holy Ghost convicts and shines light upon the truth in men's hearts, right? So you always have to plow ground so something can get sown. So just because somebody says, I don't want to become love, doesn't mean the gospel of love and the message of love isn't true and powerful. So you still got to preach it, right? So here's the thing with whoever wrote that question. You're actually hearing it. It makes sense. You're not rebutting it. I've had people sit and listen and go, well, yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. That's easy for you to say. You ain't been in my situation. You ain't standing in my shoes. You ain't married to my wife. They'll say stuff like that. I'll hear what you're preaching, but you ain't married to my wife. You spend an afternoon with my wife. You're changed your message. Or they'll say, love. Yeah, love, right. I ain't loving. Ain't no loving nobody, man. They need to make up. They're the ones that need to love. There's people like that, and they just caught up on themselves and deceived, and they're sure they're right, but they're so wrong because look what it's producing. When you look at the fruit that your mentality's producing, you can see what tree it came from. You just look at where your mindset's taking you. You look at the fruit it's producing in your life. If you're struggling just to keep an okay countenance, just to get through, just to stay encouraged, just to see people okay, man, you probably ought to really look at what you're really believing. 
Because the fruit of your life is determined by the eye you live from. And if you look at the fruit and it doesn't look like the kingdom of God, probably ought to rather get your eyes off everything else and change the way you think. You get what I'm saying? So to answer this question, intimacy and relationship with Jesus is second to none. It's the biggest deal of your life. Nothing compares with your ability to be with him. Praying for the sick and seeing them healed is fun. It's fun. It's fun to get a word of knowledge and have somebody's eyes fill in tears. It's fun to be sitting on a plane with somebody and we get chatting. And I just say, hey, listen, do you got this going on? And they go, who are you, man? How do you know that? Are you psychic? It's fun. I'm, not, I'm being honest. That's fun. But listen, nothing compares to your ability to be with him and know he loves you and that you're right to be there with him. And in that place, him begin to reveal himself to you. You just turn everything off and close the door and lay on your bed and just open your heart to him. Watch this. And whoever you are that answers that question, I hear everything Dan's been saying. It all makes sense, God. Thank you that it's true. Thank you you see me this way and love me. Whether I felt it or not, whether it seems like it's in my head or my heart, man, you have won me. I want this gospel. And I thank you for loving me this way. Thank you. I'll always be right in your sight. My heart is for you. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. And all of a sudden, you're communing with the Lord. And all of a sudden, you're allowing your relationship and your faith in God to bring a revelation of Christ through your life. Let me show you something real quick in light of that question. Mark chapter 3, real quick. Preach this all the time. Mark, Mark chapter 3, Jesus went to a mountain and called those to himself who he wanted. He's talking about the apostles where he appointed them, right? Now listen, here's what's good. You can say, well, Dan, he's talking to the apostles. Yeah, but watch. No one comes to the Father unless he's drawn by him. So did God call you and draw your heart to him? Are you saved by grace? Did any man get saved on his own? Did he just wake up in his own strength and say, you know what, I think I want the Lord. No, the Lord started to draw his heart and woo him to him, right? So no man comes to God unless he's drawn by him. So the people that want Jesus, the people in this room, is it fair to say that we've been drawn and called by God? Right? Watch. He called those to himself who he wanted. Well, that's a pretty big deal. Why would he draw you to him? Because he's mad at you? Because he wants you. He wants to be one with you. So it's a good thing. Now watch. And here's a good response. They came to him. (laughs) And they came to him. That's what we've done. That's why we're here. True? Next verse. Look at the next verse. He appointed in the King James. You know what that word is? The word appointed? Ordained. Now, to us, ordination's a big deal. Oh, my ministry. Ordination means you're appointed to something. So there is a place for ordination in ministry. You're appointed to that vision, to that ministry, to that office. Not making fun of of ordaining, but we we make it some wow word. Ordained, is that the King James? (laughs) Dude, you're my hero. He just went right to the virgin, man. He's like right there. See? It just proves that my answers are always right because it's there. King James, ordained. I've studied and shown myself approved. Ordained 12. Why'd he ordain them? What do you appoint them to? Ministry, healing, miracles, signs, wonders? Look, he appointed them, he ordained them that they should be with him. 
What's the first thing on God's heart? To make you one, to bring you home, to get back inside of you. Sin evicted him from his home, so he dealt with the problem to move back in. Do you get it? Look, that they should be with him, and look, that from that place, being with him, that he might send them forth to preach and have power. See, that's what we want. We want power, baby. We want to heal the sick. How about being with him? Because that's first. And from being with him, you're sent out to preach and have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. Where's that come from? Being with him. Yay. So the fact that you want what we're saying is the greatest sign in your own life and heart. You don't have a hard heart. Don't be analytical. Don't talk yourself. Don't say, well, I think it's just in my head. And then start striving and let the devil condemn you in the face. Some of the purest people I've ever met have struggled with an inward secret condemnation because they feel like they're failing their true desire. And they feel like they're not living up to what they want to live up to. Some of the purest folks have been played by the devil in that way to where they're living in secret condemnation. And instead of riding the strength of their pure heart to a greater revelation, they're feeling like they're failing what they say they want. Don't you let the devil lie to you like that. The fact that you care means you're alive inside. People come to me and cry as a pastor. They ever do that, Adam? They ever come and cry and bare their heart, spill their guts, tell you the thing they did, and they're being honest, and they cry. I'm excited they're crying. I'm so excited they're crying, I'm hardly hearing what they're talking about. And then you tell them, boy, I'm sure glad to see how the gospel's purified your heart. And they're thinking it's a sarcastic joke. What do you mean? Purify my heart. Didn't you hear what I just said I did? Well, I heard what you said you did, but I see who you are. And the problem is if you start believing what you did is who you are, you'll get talked out of this heart I see in you. You're a product of what he's done, and I'm excited because there's a time in your life you did what you just told me and didn't even blink, and now it's breaking you up. Man, you're coming a long way. Let's get your eyes off of what you did and keep your eyes on what you're becoming because God is growing you up in him. Oh, man, that's good pastor right there. <laughs> it's a good pastor. Get it? <laughs> Go ahead, buddy. Uh, can you briefly describe the role of the fivefold ministry? Briefly describe what? The role of the fivefold ministry. Well, we can just go to it and look at it. It's real simple. One of the biggest mistakes in my belief, it's, I'll qualify that, it's just my belief. One of my biggest concerns with what we call the fivefold ministry, first of all, everybody that prophesies, we call a prophet. That's, that's a mistake. We can all prophesy at times as necessary, and love will make it really possible. And just because it's sharp and calculated doesn't mean you're a prophet and walking in the office of a prophet. It means you've walked in the grace that's in that office. And you've been multiplied by that grace. Is that a good way to explain it, Pastor? Just because you prophesy doesn't mean you're a prophet. Just because you lead somebody to the Lord doesn't mean you're an evangelist. We get too rigid with these things. We're all called to do the work of an evangelist. In fact, it's not about evangelizing. Your life becomes evangelistic as you're molded into love. You're not trying to reach out. Your life reaches out. Your attitudes, your motives, your heart reaches out. Do you get what I'm saying? I hope you're getting that. We've carried a lot of pressure trying to save the world and reach the world and feeling like we're failing. And, and it's, we made it all about us, and now we're under this pressure to perform. Why don't you enjoy becoming and let your life speak in him? But here's the deal, fivefold. 
Ephesians chapter 4. And he himself, so it's his idea, so it is from the Lord, right? Here's my concern. God never intended us to recognize a true gift in somebody's life, put them on a platform in front of thousands so they can minister to everybody. That is not why God has put the fivefold ministry in, in place. And that's what we've become. We've be, oh God, I'm going to go here. We've become... ministry crazed if we're not careful and we need everybody to touch us and pray for us and we think everything is resolved through praying for one another things are resolved through truth people you wake up in the morning and say oh god it feels like it's going to be one of those days and then you call sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so to pray you through it's not even a prayer issue it's getting a grip on truth and your reason for being Stop living by your feelings or it's just going to be that way all the time and you're going to let somebody ride their identity thinking they're helping you because they pray you through. What's that even mean if you need to call them again and again and again because it's one of those days? No, get a grip on why you're alive and who you are today and stand up in your room and say, Father, I've been living by these feelings and my flesh wants to crawl in bed and just, 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 just almost feel like no hope today. What a lie. You live inside of me. You'll shine through me. My life is a privilege and my job is a gift to me. And God, I thank you that these people around me, man, God, they are the people that you've made my mission feel. Without me trying, you've just placed me in a sphere of influence. I'm not missing this thing. You're in me. You'll flow through me. Thanks for my life. Boy, that sure beats calling Sally for prayer. But Sally's going to, if she's not sharp, she's going to enable that lie, and you'll have to call Sally again and again and again. And if we're not careful, Sally will gain the reputation of the praying woman in the church that prays everybody through. No, if Sally's sharp, she'll say, listen, honey, you know you called me last week. You say, I knew I was burdening you. I knew I shouldn't have called you. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not why I said that, honey. You couldn't burden me. I love you. Listen to me. It's not about praying you through today. Have you even talked to Jesus? Have you even challenged the thoughts of your mind and the feelings of your heart? Honey, you're living by feelings. You're sensual driven. Me praying for you is not your answer. You being with him is your answer. Getting a good, fresh grip on why you're alive today and why mercy woke you up. Now I'm hanging up this phone. You lift your hands and you talk to him. That's a sharp sally. And then she says, listen, I'll help you. I'll lead you. Lift your hands right now. Father, we receive your love. Thanks for loving us, God. And Father, I thank you that you see us clearly today through the blood of your son. We have a gift called life. See you, Sally. Or see you, sister. Have a great day. And Sally slips down the phone while she's standing there like this. So she's either going to back out and put down her hands and stay the way she is, or she's already on a roll. But you've got to give her that place. You get what I'm saying? That's what will make it come alive in you. The fivefold ministry, the Bible answers it clearly. He himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up edifying, increasing of the body of Christ. Why are these things in place? Till we all come to the unity of the faith. Doesn't mean, mean believing everything specifically doctrinally the same. That's not what he's talking about. The faith, our reason for being. Here's the deal. You might see every day the same, Romans 14 says. I might see one day different than the rest. It says don't fight over that and try to change each other's mind. 
As long as you do what you do by faith, do it under the Lord, and he'll make you stand, right? But here's what makes us one. No matter what you believe about the day, meaning, hey, brother, we're under greater grace. There's, you don't have to honor the Sabbath. You just, and I'm just throwing this out here as an example. You know, you're not under the law, man. You can, you can mow your grass on the Sabbath, and you can use, we have freedom, man. Every day is the same in Christ. And, and then the other guy says, "Lo, man, listen, I just want to honor that day. What Paul writes is, if you do it unto the Lord, you bring honor to the Lord, and it's God that will make you stand. Whether you have this opinion or this opinion, it's all the same to God. As long as what you do, you do by faith, right? Okay? So, so here's the deal. That seems to make us different. So how can we have the unity of faith when we think so different? Because in the morning, we all wake up for the same reason. His image and his love. And we go to work to shine and we go to the store, and we're at the gas station, and our attitudes are changed. And we have a heart for people, and we have something to give. I, I sit on airplanes with folks. It is so fun to me. They ask me how I'm doing, and I tell them. <laughs> they say, hey, man, how are you doing? I say, man, I am so glad you asked. I was thinking you weren't going to ask, but I'm glad you asked. Really? Yeah. Oh, I had the most amazing weekend, and I'm just doing it. Really? What'd you do, man? It's just fun. <laughs> a guy this past two weeks ago, he said, why are you flying? You on business? I said, that's an interesting question. And I'm thinking, I'm doing the father's business. You know, I'm thinking spiritual answers. And I just started sincerely pouring my heart. He just stared at me. He said, man, he said, I, he told me what he believed. And he said, I'm really open, though. I'm interested in what you're saying. And then he started asking questions. I love it. He's asking questions. People around are listening. They, they're funny. I seen this one time on. Per I mean, I really saw this. I'm not using this as a funny joke. This guy had a book in front of him. Me and this person were talking for like 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes, and he's on the same page. He's the book was became camo, man. He's like, I thought that dude is either a slow reader or he's got deer ears, you know. <laughs> One or the other. So, so why do we have these gifts in the body of Christ? For the edifying and the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, till we all come to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, a complete man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Please don't limit what's possible by grace. I don't want man's experience to define what I can be. I'm following Jesus. I'll respect you, but I'm following him. I'll glean from Pastor Don and Pastor Adam in areas, but I'm following Jesus. And their experience isn't my limitation or my end result. Jesus is my standard. I'm following him. I'm not going to let grace be denied because of what men say isn't possible. The stature of the fullness of Christ, I want to know what that means. So I'm talking to Jesus about that in my life. And I'm not going to limit what, what he paid for. I want every drop of grace available to come on my life to make me what he paid for. Do you get it? Or you're just going to limit some things and say, well, this is the way we are, and this is the way it is, and nobody's really this. And all we're doing is gleaning from one another's resumes. But if Jesus looks different, let's start following him. Amen? That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro. So apostles mean sent ones. Uh, uh, you know, uh, 
you know, apostolic, a lot of times we see as a, a higher anointing to establish works, to father things, to kick things off. Would that be a fair way to explain it, Pastor? Do you have anything to add to that? Apostolic? Just that, that fits, right? Good. And uh, prophets, so, you know, instruction, uh, edifying. There's correction in prophetic stuff. It has to come from love. But, but there's, a, there's a divine utterance. There's a voice of prophecy from the office of prophet that's God speaking through a person, a voice, setting things in order. Uh, it's, it's a good thing. It's, it, 